Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about The Adventurer's Guide to Theria, Volume 1, Alara. So, much like whenever a D&D book uh, comes out, we do take a peek at it and see just what there is to see. So in this case, though, for the first time, we are not going to talk about an official book, but rather the book title I just mentioned, which is the setting book published by Jason Massey and Brianna Marie of the Dungeons and Randomness podcast. So that podcast is actually how Nathan and I met was through their community. So in honor of them and just the fact that it is a fantastic show and a fantastic book, we decided to basically have a Theria Week special for today and Thursday for our 99th and 100th episodes. So with that being said, let's go ahead and dive right in to just some of the really cool things in this book. Uh, first things first, the book is fucking massive. It is 396 pages long and not just length, but density. Any of you who do listen to the Dungeons and Randomness podcast, and I do highly suggest it if you don't, because it is a fantastic, just long running show. But uh, there is a lot within it. and. There are a lot of different ways to use a setting book, as we have talked about in previous types of episodes like this. So you can decide to make your own homebrew game completely in Jason's world of Theria. And the book absolutely gives enough just content and information on every single place on Alara to be able to do so. However, you could also use it just for inspiration for the sake of your own homebrew. Because there are a lot of things like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Or, oh, that creates a whole set of rules to do a thing that there aren't typically rules for. So just as a couple of briefer examples, we've talked before about how some people prefer to make death and resurrection a more complicated thing in their worlds. And Jason is a dungeon master who is one of them. So they have the Therian death rules in this book, which absolutely makes it a far more dangerous experience, not just for the person coming back, but also for the magic user who is doing the pulling of them, of the soul back to the body. So it is a comprehensive rule set for something that is a little more hand wavy a lot of the time for other people. And even besides that, there are a lot of rules for, you know, just talking about different types of medicines or like we talked about in the alcohol episode, uh, there are ways that you can treat drinking. So having actual solid rules can totally be lifted from other setting books. So this supplies all those things. So that being said, we want to focus more on just a couple of more detailed things for us to talk about. And instead of just a general, hey, this is neat. Hey, this is neat. Although it is. Uh, so that being said, Nathan, do you want to go ahead and start us off? OK, so first of all, let's go over some of the uh, rules in regards to diseases. In typical D&D, diseases are very simple in that they are something that can be cured simply by, like a paladin can just use five of their hit point thingies on, with lay on hands to just cure one. Uh, lesser restoration is fairly easy spell to get, and it just cures diseases. 
And one no, thing you roll do notice just happens for both of those effects yes. too. And and one thing that you do notice for um this kind of thing is that the way that wizards have done diseases is that it's a very one and done thing. It's just a sort of easy to get rid of um single tier system where there's only diseases and that's the entire thing. So what Jason has done here is that each disease has a different severity and each severity level has different sorts of cures and this actually brings forward a very um nice thing where essentially you can have different levels of diseases being able to be cured by different levels of spells and hence of actually um that way you can have more uh a better reason as to okay may the the lesser stuff is like your your skills are still useful in that okay i can cure someone who has like the sniffles right but if somebody has cancer, a little bit of lay on hands won't cure them of that, right? So that's that's generally the situation. For example, for the um, level one severity right here, it says that symptoms not are normally small and only cause minor inconveniences. Uh, generally passes within a week or less. It says right here, lesser restoration cures this kind of is illness and such. And there are also like words saying here that um, about herbs and such and the thing is that this is quite interesting because it means that if you are sick there is a sort of quest that comes with that so say if it's not curable by easy magic you're just gonna be like fuck what do i do and then you find a herbalist um if they store the herbs it's probably not gonna come cheap if they don't store the herbs they might know where you could get them so that they could make a cure the big issue being is that where are you gonna get that and that's a whole big quest thing that you can do. And quick interruption. Another cool thing that Jason has done with the diseases is the fact that for each of the five severities of diseases, he actually has a kind of chart underneath too that mentions the most common healing spells, lesser restoration, heal, and power word heal, and how those spells interact with every single level of disease severity, which is awesome. So up to a certain point, yeah, lesser restoration can help. But then it just flat out will just give a little bonus instead and then just flat out stop working for the more serious diseases. And the fact that he did create this kind of sliding scale of what the healing spells do and creating this kind of quest system for the herb side of things gives you multiple options on how to deal with them. And anything that gives options is always a good thing in my book. Sorry, go right ahead. So, uh, let us cover one of the um, diseases that actually has appeared on the um, DNR show, Slaw Fever, right? Oh boy. So, <laughs> it is quite serious, and it's basically um, severity level 4. So, what that means, essentially, is that rare herbs can be used to create a cure. It takes multiple doses in most cases, and lesser restoration, useless, heal gives advantage on the saving trolls for the side effects and symptoms, some of the more advanced symptoms. And power heal, which isn't exactly easy to come by, heals it, cures it. So what it does is that it basically causes your skin to, to fall off. And apparently it's incredibly painful um, having your skin fall off. <laughs> no, I'm sure it feels fine. <laughs> 
Absolutely uh, fine. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so one additional thing absolutely worth mentioning. The entirety of the Adventurer's Guide to Theria, Volume 1 Alara, is full of actually hundreds of pieces of art all throughout it. What is unfortunate in this particular instance, there is a drawing of an individual with sloth fever in this book, and it is fucked because your skin doesn't magically just come off all at once. It basically rots and falls off piece by piece over a period of time. It looks awful. It appears that this guy is like a tiefling or something. It's like hot mm -hmm. as fuck. Oh god, that is disgusting. Please continue talking. <laughs> so, what it is what is covered here? Basically, once infected, no, uh, when exposed to the illness, uh, you need to make a constitution saving throw with a DC of 13 relatively easy. Um, once you're infected, the afflicted gains a level of exhaustion and makes a con save every two days after a long rest with the same DC. Each failure results in an additional level of exhaustion. So by the, basically, after six failures, you die, if I'm not wrong. Mm -hmm. So after reaching this, uh, the dirt level exhaustion, the afflicted will be covered in bloody blisters and bubbling skin lesions. Nice. Um, <laughs> on the fourth level of exhaustion, the sufferer will lose uh, portions of their skin permanently. Permanently. Imagine that. You're just like walking around. Hey, dude, you're missing a part of your face. I know it's a, it, it happened. I got sick, terribly sick, and I lost half my face. And... Mm. Um, yeah, that that's pretty much it. So what what's left is a chance of infection, which is extremely low, as you can see by the chat. Um, it says that this disease is normally found in exceptionally hot climates. So right there, you have a bit of info to be like, okay, where can I put this? And that's quite interesting because I, I believe, yeah, you, you get this for all of the different stuff, which actually gives you an opportunity to actually try and use this for your own world. Um, and place it in certain spots. Mm -hmm. So you can have a method of transmission, you can have environment to know where this typically would be to place this disease as is, just copy and paste into your own world. And also, since uh, it was mentioned that this was a le uh, level 4 disease, that means then that, yeah, it's a little bit harder to get as it is not the highest DC. But that also means, though, that if you do catch it, it is very difficult to get rid of. Because at that tier, a level four disease cannot be cured by lesser restoration, which would then mean that you need some form of higher level healing. So yeah. to get that is fucking difficult. So if this were to happen to a low-level party, this can, and in the show even, did create a subquest in its own right to try to get this thing dealt with and to have disease be such a threat to even a party of adventurers is what a magical disease should be that the standard ones in 5th edition just do not do. So one thing, uh, actually two things that I found rather interesting is that first off, once you get infected with it, if you do pass the save, it doesn't mean that you get cured of it. It just means that you don't get that exhaustion level. Secondly, um, right here it says that there's actually a diagnosis thing. And you need to get a wisdom medicine check 
uh, with a DC-14 to find out what it is. And this is actually quite interesting because typically with such things, it's not really stated as to like having such a you need to go and diagnose certain things and i i feel like this is something that definitely could be used um when making your own diseases and figuring out okay so like for example cancer with fantasy shit wouldn't be easy to find like figure out what what what's causing the person to like have a stroke or something because you know you don't have x-rays and stuff right I don't know how how people find cancer, jeez. <laughs> but but <laughs> in any case, in any case, it, it wouldn't be something easy to find because it's not something you just see popping out of your skin, uh, unlike this. So I think that that definitely could be something quite interesting because you just have this character just like fucking dying, and it's like, hey, what's wrong with him? Uh, you don't know. You need to find out. And it's like, yeah, but I, I rolled a check. I rolled an eighteen. You, you still don't know. And it's like, damn. <laughs> Okay, that's getting a bit dickish. If they got an 18 on a medicine check, they should have some idea. Okay, like, who knows? Maybe it's like some some ancient, uh, cursey disease. (laughs) All right, anyway, so, I mean, that kind of thing, it could just be like, they have some kind of magical disease, but it's simply not one that you're familiar with. But at least point them in the right direction. Again, rule two or three of DMing, don't be a dick. Anyway, moving on from diseases, something that is just such a minor detail in the world of Theria, but just I find to be absolutely hilarious, is the way that they treat lizard folk. So in normal D&D, they're just a creature that lives in the swamp. You know, maybe they'll attack a party in the swamp, and that's about it. Jason decided to basically use the ridiculous conspiracy theories that exist in the real world and apply them into D&D in, as far as I know, a unique way, but definitely in a fantastic way. So Therian lizard folk are shapeshifters that can wear the skin of people and can hide and disguise themselves as other people. So the whole the the world is controlled by secret lizard folk. And if you you just got to tear off their face to expose the lizard folk within. But the entire upper echelons of government are lizard folk. (laughs) And uh, there is indeed a character in Theria who is trying to prove the lizard folk quote-unquote conspiracy who was honestly one of my favorite npcs on the show just a gentleman named morgan who is just trying to just prove all the conspiracy theories and it's just a very very funny way to go about it but while it is even in world treated as a joke much like it is in our world the difference is that in theria the lizard folk can actually do the thing. They actually exist and are real and have that magical ability. And in the book, they even include the stats of lizard folk. So technically speaking, if a DM allowed it, then a player could be a secret lizard folk who did just look to be a regular race, but in actuality is a lizard folk and is 
you know, maybe they do have the goal of trying to, you know, succeed as an adventurer to get themselves into a position of power so that they can, for the rest of their life, feed their voracious, you know, carnivorous appetite. And boy, is that something that I haven't really seen done before. But I want to. And the fact that this book just it's just a little half a page note in the book, but it's so very much something that can be copied over to make use of for another dungeon master to have just a lot of fun with their world building. And uh, just related tangent to that, just another thing that Jason just does well as a DM and is also a lot of fun in this book. Cryptids are just a hugely popular thing in our world. Things like the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, just cryptozoology. But in a D&D world, all of the weird shit exists. Like, yetis are known to exist in D&D worlds, for the most part. Maybe they're not as common, but... The point being, Jason took the time to plan out, okay, what would be considered a cryptid in a fantasy world, what are the things that are so weird that even in a fantasy world, they would just get dismissed as, oh, come on, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of crazy because in, in fantasy land, you're basically, oh, it's a floating mass of eyeballs. And then, oh, hey, that thing is don't a Don't you be doing my beholders dirty. <laughs> don't you dare. Oh, that, that's a giant lizard with wings. <laughs> That can somehow fly, even though its wings are far too small for its body mass. But magic. So even in a world where but magic answers pretty much every question, what things are just so weird that even the people in that world would just shrug it off or not believe it or think that someone is exaggerating. And there are multiple examples of such things described through the show and in this book. And the fact that you do get so many NPC stat blocks for some of these creatures and for so many other things too is just yet another credit to this book. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. So... I want to talk about uh, another bit uh, of extrapolation that uh, Jason has done to another set of things. So right here is something that uh, personally I've never taken part in, don't really want to. Uh, it's drugs. Drugs! So <laughs> uh, I may have uh, more than a little. Well, actually, that's not true. Not a lot, but I mean, I live All in Oregon. Drugs. Weed's legal here. <laughs> I may have been very, very high yesterday watching Bill and Ted, which was a good day. In any case, um, <laughs> Sorry. He, he, he has done pretty much the same thing for uh, drugs. And 
honestly, this this is something that uh, anyone can use in terms of how they want to homebrew something. And the, uh, typically, what what you can do is take something that exists in D&D already, but isn't really extrapolated on, as I said before, diseases are normally just a one and done. Drunks typical drunks don't really play a huge part, honestly, if I if I remember correctly. But the general thing is just have multiple tiers of the thing, give these multiple tiers different things that they do and how how you get past them. And right there you have the start of something that's a bit more detailed than what you get from the base stuff. So uh, let's actually cover some of the non-base stuff here. So uh, there's four four different levels of drugs. So mild, moderate, hard, and devastating. Each um, pretty much gives you the gist of uh, what what happens. Just how when you bad it is for you, which is an interesting yeah. way to sort it and smart because it gives you as a DM a good idea of how much to you know have this available or not. So. Um, Another couple, like this has a whole bunch of different stats specifically to it, and it actually covers pretty much everything that you want to about drugs. So, potency, so how strong is it, um, and how much it f- affects your body. Um, addictiveness. Now, this one is nice because uh, in D and D, addictiveness is very easy to do because it's basically a bunch of checks, and yeah, a duration that one makes sense. Rarity, how how hard is it to obtain? Now that's pretty um good one right there average price now that one is basically so that you can price it better so a quick interruption to... for price sure. though because this is one disagreement that jason and i have which is how to price things jason is one of those individuals who does treat gold as dollars which irks the hell out of me but he does so much else just far better than I could ever even conceive of that I have to just let it go. But I will caution just if any of you do decide to copy this over for yourselves that I do suggest considering tweaking prices Remy, Remy. by a factor of 10 or 100. Honestly, prices generally are a factor of the DM because the DM is only going to give gold based on what he thinks gold is and hence all pricings in a certain way so yeah but like the the equivalent of weed should not cost twenty five hundred dollars a dose i don't know like two dollars and fifty cent i'm telling you i don't know (laughs) i'm telling you it should not be honestly here's the thing if if you probably want to get drugs in singapore it probably cost you a fuck ton because if you hold drugs death sentence Uh, anyways Oof. So, <laughs> actually, hold on. That's actually worth exploring a little more. Let's not move on quite yet, because sure. that actually is something worth considering. Because As a even though these thing. charts do make use of how hard is it to get the drugs and how legal or illegal it is, it is yeah, worth criminality. also considering that different regions can indeed have very different rules and laws about such things. So. That is a level of detail that you may or may not want to put in, but it is worth considering that maybe you do have just even neighboring cities that just have absolutely opposite opinions. So maybe it is cheap and available in one place, but real frowned upon at the next city over. So that might be like a point of contention between the cities is that a lot of people try like moving the cheap drugs into the city. And that could be a political moment. Can can you imagine if one city st- heavily stigmatizes like smoking or something, and then there's this just guy that's like smoking a pipe. He walks into a bar and then just 
like like these big burly men, some of them like who who you assume would be smoking just stares at him disapprovingly. And it's like Hey, what you, you better put that out if you know what's good for you. <laughs> You're killing yourself. <laughs> and those around you. <laughs> That's amazing, not gonna lie. I love the idea of that. <laughs> Coming soon to Rift Wake. jeez. And down here you have just a bunch of different uh, DC check, like DCs that um, you have for each drug level. Um, like the kind of damage each drug level deals to the player, so that that that's nice. So take a thing, it, it, it kill you. That'd be pretty bad. Jesus Christ! And just to, I'm not going to go through the entire chart because time. But just as an example, the absolute worst tier, the devastating one. Just oh boy, at the end of every short and long rest, they're supposed to make this check, and on a failure can take 7d12 plus 10 damage, and oh. half on a successful save? Holy shit, that's awful. Okay, so one really cool thing is they do actually have the crime and punishment part, and it actually covers what we were talking about just right now, so like, at the very low end, it's just a 50% that nobody gives a shit, so, yeah, and, um, a minor fine and uh, if you do get caught using it so imagine basically like smoking a cigarette somewhere you, you're not supposed to smoke it and getting a fine because of that so yeah and that, that's basically what what it is like for the in terms of crime and punishment at the top end it's like you're just gonna get hanged or uh 1d4 years of jail time and all your all your gold is confiscated and there's just a bunch of different um, drugs here. So, Remy, uh, w which one do you think we should go over to, to show an example? Of the tables, or do you mean more drugs? Like the drug. A drug. Oh. I mean, I would say black grass would be the default just because it's the closest one. Well, actually, no. Let's not do that one. Let's talk about something called Bloodroot. Okay. <laughs> so, right here it says that its category is hard. And it t talks about where it's grown, and it's very hard to get because um, the dragonborn who live at this location guard it closely. So it is ground into a power and snorted. Once it enters the system, it causes the subject to become much more energetic. However, it results in a lack of impulse control. So the effects specifically are a plus 5 to speed, plus 3 to initiative, plus 3 to dex, and plus minus 3 to wisdom. Now right here, all of these are actually rather significant. Because plus 5 to speed, it's it's pretty good. But the plus 3 to initiative and 3 to dexterity is like, those can That's help enormous. you. Yeah, those can help actually help. Now, there is the minus 3 to wisdom, but there's also a disadvantage on any wisdom rolls, hence of the lack of impulse control. So in other words, this is Theriot cocaine. And this is one that has been featured on the podcast. And yeah, that checks out. But the, what's also cool about how this works, though, with Bloodroot specifically, even. So it has these honestly pretty good effects. And I would say that from the effects alone, it's more good than bad. Because holy shit, if you have like a dex based character to get that, bonus to speed, initiative, and dexterity, they may not care about the wisdom issues. So the thing is, though, the trade-off comes in the after effects. 
Well, actually, first off, it comes just in the price because it's fucking expensive. 100 to 250 gold per dose. And it does last for three hours, which is nice. But the other things, potency seven, rarity seven, addictiveness six, criminality eight. So in other words, this shit is hard to get your hands on, addictive as hell, hard on your body. So all of these things just mean that if you even just have a single dose, you could have a real bad time. And uh, as a quick tangent, so I mentioned that this was a hard drug, or sorry, you did at the start. So a hard drug has a 18 DC. That is horrifying. So 18 DC for their addictiveness, not to mention that goes up an additional plus one every single dose after the first in a month. So it stacks DC the more of a drug that you have. So technically speaking, after taking a whole bunch of times, you could possibly reach a point where it became, becomes impossible for you to just get rid of it uh, by rolls. Well, impossible to not be addicted. Then there would yeah. just be the need to get cured and deal with withdrawal, which is fucking painful. So, so is getting cured a... Oh, you gotta it means go through that withdrawal short, duration. Exactly. Every short and long rest for, let's see here, on a hard drug, 14 days. Every short and long rest, you would have to pass a DC 20 con check or take 40 10 plus 10 damage every single short and long rest oh damn you could have that moment it's like oh johnny died last night it's like but but he was doing fine well he he stopped smoking his stuff and and he said he wanted to quit now he's dead in the in, in a in a heap over there and it's like oh gosh <laughs> Yeah, this shit is dangerous. So it just it does create really interesting mechanics all around, though, because could there be a time where a character just comes across this? Like maybe, you know, they sneak into a bandit camp, you know, find the their stash of loot and part of the loot is drugs. So let's say then that they have like some blood root as part of it and then they get caught and they have an instant where they can make a choice. You know, maybe this is, you know, an archer character or a rogue just and they know, OK, they, you know, pass a medicine check to identify, OK, I know what effect this will have on me. Do they take the blood root to give them a little advantage in that combat, knowing what it might do to them and to have that be a choice where they know this really might help us not die, but it could also have other really unfortunate side effects. And anything that does give choice is so potentially fun. So looking at this stuff, I, I do see like a possible interesting use for a similar, like a custom drug based on the same system, which is essentially imagine a, a, a method, a method of revival that uses a drug. And basically you just have to keep on taking the thing uh, until you die. And that's kind of the state of things, because if you stop taking it, the withdrawal from it, from it will kill you. And that, that could create rather interesting situations where it's like, you're trapped somewhere. It's like, I, I fucking need my drug, otherwise I'm going to fucking die. It's like, no, we, we're not going to give it to you because they, they don't know your situation. And it can create all these like interesting situations where you're, if you're unable to source it, um, it, it, make, it puts the character in a very tight spot. 
Yeah, no kidding. Uh, quick tangent on that, since you did remind me. We were talking mm. a little bit earlier about how in Theria, it is harder to be brought back from death. One really fucking cool thing that they also did was to tweak the Revivify spell so that instead of it just being, okay, if they die really soon, then you can just bring them back. Instead, it just gives them one day to say their goodbyes. And that kind of tweak of the spell to just give them 24 hours to either say goodbye or to try to, you know, avenge their soon to be, you know, reoccurring death. That's fucking cool, because any time that you have any kind of timer creates additional tension. That's why it happens in so many movies where they have like the self-destruct, you know, trope a lot of the time. But in that case where you do have that just 24 hours and then you will die seeing what a character could do with that or to just have such a thing out in the world where someone else might have that effect because in a world that has resurrection it is remarkably rare for bad guys to get to take advantage of that which is strange because if they have so much magical power or minions at their disposal so much gold then why wouldn't they Dude. just have someone paid to resurrect them should things go bad the Red Cardinal would still be hanging around if there was re resurrection. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because if there is, yeah, someone with that much just power as well as gold, absolutely should. But in even high magic worlds, it's remarkably rare for that to happen, which is strange. So having something like that, or even if you did have that more Tharian Revivify, where they, if you just had 24 hours could you imagine how desperate and enraged a villain with 24 hours left what would they do that is a scary thought and that would also create tension on the players should they find out you are being hunted they have one day to do it but they will do everything in their power earn every resource they have available yeah because they don't you. have the future to think about mm-hmm and and it's a kind of thing that you just have all your like you you basically know everything and like like you have nothing to lose in terms of um just straight up being like oh well if i if i if i die while doing this i'm gonna die anyways so and i it's not like i'm gonna live any longer to use my resources so I might as well use it all <laughs> exactly and just that's something that on the show and also just in this book there are so many many different forms of just things that you can use either directly or just as inspiration so with that let me move on to the last thing i think we're going to talk about for today which is the travel tables jason massey is an individual who fucking loves tables which is part of why i love the guy because uh yeah me and tables math this is known so in this book, though, every single region has D20 charts that a dungeon master can use for that area. And what is particularly fantastic about that, it is not just a table for like icy terrain or something like that it is not environment based because the continent of Alara is very developed after eight years of this podcast being around as of now. So. It's a lot of it is like very specific references to things that have happened on the show, as well as just there being variations to multiple tables for a region. 
So for some examples, I'm going to look at the Northlands. So when the show first started out, it was around the city of Winterhaven. And that is a place up to the north. So in the Northlands travel tables, though, there isn't just one D20 table. There's four. So there's different tables for normal travel on road, very cold travel on road, normal travel off road, and very cold travel off road. And that alone is brilliant. The fact that there is advantages to traveling on road versus off road, as well as different things that you might run into when it's particularly cold out if you are just traveling during the wintertime. Having separate charts for different times is something that really few dungeon masters take the time to make. And the fact that all of these things just can be adapted. While it's true that, like I said, some of this is specific references, a large majority of it is just kind of usable for the, just the cold type of terrain. So as a more specific example, let's see here. OK, I'm just going to use the very cold on-road table. <laughs> All right, going back to our previous one. A drug dealer approaches the party and offers them something to warm them up inside. That's a really cool thing. Because a lot of the time, most encounters is just, you know, 1d4 bandits attack. Like, that's what most standard travel tables use. And while Jason certainly does make use of occasional just thing attacks party, most of these charts are just more interesting things that can happen on the road. Things that actually create choices instead of just combat encounters. And we've talked a lot in the past about how... Dungeons and Dragons is supposed to be a mix between combat and exploration and talky bits and Dungeons and Randomness and things in this book also do a very good job of that. So if you have a drug dealer approach the party, then that creates potential conflict. Option A, kill the guy and take his stuff or burn his stuff. I mean, that's two separate choices right there or just do you just tell them to just be on their way? Do you have a cleric or just some individual with something like suggestion and try to pull the Jedi mind trick of, uh, you know, you don't want to do this. You want to go home and rethink your life. Or do you have that you just let them go and just be on their way? And then it's just a person who just may be out there and maybe they do, you know, bad things or maybe they just are a more neutral individual. Who knows? And to just have there be so many choices in just a random encounter role just shows the kind of mind that Jason uses for these tables. So every single thing can be used in multiple ways. And that is fucking brilliant. OK, actually, here's another one I like just from the off-road table. Buried partway in the ground is a small box. Inside this box is a map. And a single key labeled don't. That is an excellent fucking plot hook right there. Because a map and a key that just says don't. I cannot think of a better way to get players to do a thing than to tell them not to. Yeah, that, that's that's true. <laughs> and this could be used for just anything that you as the DM want to set up. Maybe this is, you know, just... Something dangerous has been locked away. Like, imagine if this was like a fucking lich that was successfully trapped in a crypt and locked. And then someone just buried the box 
but it has been just exposed over time. And so your players may accidentally unleash a goddamn lich if they just open this door. Or it could just be a more standard dungeon. Like maybe it is just, you know, a bunch of regular weak undead that just got locked in. Or maybe it's just, you know, a regular tomb that just might have traps and dangers. And maybe there's a magic item at the end and it's just dangerous. And maybe the person who hid the box, you know, all their friends died. So they just tried to hide this and lock it away. There's so many angles to take with a majority of things on these charts that this is exactly the kind of thing that I mean when saying the Adventurer's Guide to Theria Volume 1 Alara gives so many things that can just be used directly by dungeon masters, can be used to entertain players, can just be read because it's just an entertaining book to read the hundreds of pages of lore that make up part of this or just can be used by a dungeon master as inspiration to add details to their own world. Thanks for listening to this episode of Refs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier stars always a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Support us to get benefits such as behind the scenes content, access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we will chat with the cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Refwake Podcast on Facebook as Refwake and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now... Send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.